Hey there, we're about to start the Chin Music Baseball Podcast here with Lavelle E. Neal III. I'm Jim Suhan. We're both from the Star Tribune and TalkNorth.com. Roy Smalley is usually the voice of wisdom. Yes. Uh, Roy could not be with us tonight. Late cancellation. We'll get Roy back on the show as soon as we can. I hate doing a show without Roy, but I hope everything's okay in his world. Yes. Uh, we are going to do some giveaways here. Grain Belt is sponsoring the show. We are live at O'Donovan's. You should know where O'Donovan is. You probably walk by it all the time. Uh, right by the great music venues downtown, right by Target Center, right on the way to Target Field. Uh, we're very grateful to be here with, again, Grain Belt and O'Donovan's. Again, this is our Chin Music Baseball Show. Lavelle, is the Brewers-Twins rivalry what it used to be? I don't think so. I mean, how far back are we going to go to to see, uh, to look for, like, seminal moments? Uh the big brawl that uh, Molitor and Herbeck were involved in. Oh, man, uh, I forgot about that Back one. in the day, you know, um, that's when the teams really didn't like each other. But I think now it's more of a regional rivalry than it is rivalry uh, on the field. Um, I think this is great for the fans. Um, both, both fans of both teams travel to each other's ballparks when they play. It's a great atmosphere, a lot of drinking. Um, sometimes there's fisticuffs. You know, you hear about an occasional fisticuff here and there. There was a... A twin series in Milwaukee about six, seven years ago. And um, we found out in the clubhouse that like, there had been like a big brawl between twins brand fans and Brewers fans, like in a strip club. And we we're like, well, shouldn't that be like sacred ground? <laughs> should, should that even be taking, taking place in a place like that? Sacred you know, ground. You know? So uh, well, other than that, I think as far as on the field, I think the twins, you know, the twins biggest rivalries through the years have been the White Sox and Cleveland, um, especially when, Guardy and, and Jerry Manuel was managing the White Sox. They went Ozzy. And then the years that the Cleveland Indians were dominating the Twins, they couldn't beat them. You know, Latroy Hawkins was just talking about it was so bad that we, we would be up 6 nothing in the ninth, and Cleveland was going to score seven runs. You know, West going to score seven runs. And there was hatred. There was moments. Um, Torrey running over the catcher for the White Sox. Uh, Torrey getting hit by a Baez pitching and picking up the ball and throwing it back That was him. my favorite. You know, we don't have any of those moments with the Twins and the Brewers. What we have is fans from both teams like, liking to take over each other's ballparks, cheering loudly, screaming, hollering, and adding a great atmosphere as these two teams get after it. I'll give you my favorite moment uh, in the past. And to let you know, as people start walking by here, uh, we're going to take some live questions. We're not going to have a, a dedicated mic for fans. But if you come up, ask me a question between our other conversations. Best question, we'll get the Joe Ryan bobblehead. Uh, we will also give away... A grain belt, the grain belt hats to people who ask questions. The other smaller stuff, feel free to come up and just grab it. Uh, we and have sunglasses and we got bottle openers with Nordies stamped on it. So, and all the all this stuff is provided by Grain Belt, and it's the highest quality stuff, I will say. Uh, great crowd here at O'Donovan's. A lot of Brewer fans, a lot of Twins fans. Yes, sir. Uh, you you have to ask a good baseball question, then you can then you can win a prize. <laughs> Uh, that's not a good baseball question. <laughs> you have to come up with something better. We, we need, we need, that's not a good baseball question. We need, we need better. Come on, go do some research. That's what did you say? No, I'm not. I am not a star. Uh, I work for a star tribune, but I am not a star, sir. Okay. No. What? We'll start the giveaway here in about 10 minutes. And, and no, then I'm I'll not call a, you over. And I'm not Al Newman. You know, don't go there with that comparison. <laughs> No. So my favorite, no. uh, one of my favorite Twins Brewers memories is the year Maurer wins the MVP. I'm going all over the country talking to Joe, talking to people who know Joe, trying to do a big story, right? And Joe, 
he's being shy and he doesn't really want to talk. So I'm like, okay, I, get, I better get his parents. So where do I run down his parents? They are tailgating at, <laughs> at uh, Milwaukee's newer stadium. Yeah. And I go and they are out there and they are having the, the time of their life. Joe's, you know, in the in there doing his 10 hours of, of pregame work. Right, right, right. And his parents are out there drinking beer after beer and having the time of their life. That's called immersion. Yes. You know, immersion yourself into the culture that is the Milwaukee Brewers fandom, uh, which includes a lot of beer drinking, a lot of wing eating, uh, you know, a lot of laughter and a lot of rubbing your stomach and then eventually waddling in to go watch a baseball game. It, it is really cool to see all these uh, all these Brewer fans in town. And, you know, one thing I want to remind people of uh, on behalf of not only O'Donovan's and Grain Belt, but myself, because I live in downtown Minneapolis. This is fantastic. You get a, if you're from out of town, you get a hotel room down here. You can drive in. You can walk around. There are great bars, great restaurants. Uh, you know, we're partial to O'Donovan's, of course. But I, walked, I walk around downtown all the time, and there's no better time to walk around downtown than when the Twins are playing. Yeah, you know, uh, we get beaten down so much by the winters here. Um, you know, there's no fall. We go straight from summer to winter, it seems like. And then we've got like six, seven months where um, it's cold, it's snowy, it's icy. Uh, you're bundled up, you're layered up, and it's not fun. But then when the weather turns, you get to the summertime, Minneapolis cannot be beat. All the lakes, um, all the things that do downtown, it's packed down here right now. We had a packed crowd here at O'Donovan's. Um, there's things to do. There's music to go listen to. You can go for walks, visit parks, uh, walk over to Target Field and watch a good baseball game. We got Pablo Lopez facing Corbin Burns, which is a fantastic matchup of each team's, you know, starters considered the anchor of that rotation going on tonight so um it's just great times and a lot of fun and it's all in this case it's all geared toward watching baseball i love it uh, i was over at the ballpark earlier today talking to some twins people uh Maeda sounds like he's gonna do one more rehab start then maybe join the rotation they might stretch out the rotation to six pitchers here to get through this uh, very busy stretch. Uh, just take care of some business. We already told you about O'Donovan's and Grain Belt. We're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studios. Thanks to All Energy Solar. Thanks to First Minnetonka City Bank. We are your locally owned community bank. And thanks to everyone who listens to TalkNorth.com. If you like the show, best way to listen is to subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's free. It's easy. Go to our website, TalkNorth.com. We have tons of wild content, uh, lots of Vikings content. This baseball show, which is doing very well, uh, we have John Krasinski on the Timberwolves. Uh, we're going to be adding a couple shows here soon. We have Mike Grimm on the Gophers. We have Joe Anderson, uh, Dave Lee, outdoor content. We'll keep growing the network, and we appreciate you listening. All, All right. star lineup. Yes, uh, and l- very happy to have Lavelle. And again, when I think when we have Lavelle and Roy and myself together, this, this show is even more fun. Uh, what is your level of confidence in the Twins at this moment? Uh, they kind of salvaged this last road trip by playing well in Toronto. They're they're a 500 team, and they're a 500 team 60-some games in. Do you just think it's injuries, or do you worry more about the construction of this team? Um, I wasn't on the road trip. Uh, I spent the weekend in Chicago, and I spent my drive back from Chicago on Sunday listening to the series finale in Toronto. And about uh, we, we were just west of the Wisconsin Dells, headed home, and it, it struck me just by listening to the game going, I'm starting not to like this team. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting not to like it. Uh, it, it it's a terrible thing to say because all these years we wish that the Twins had like a, a reliable rotation. That's all they needed, and they would be able to carry a team through a season. And they have that now. 
and they're wasting it. Um, yes, injuries are a factor, but my goodness, good teams overcome uh, these issues. The bullpen has become a playpen almost now. Rocco doesn't, other than having a fantastic closer in Joan Duran, you don't know how you get to him now. Um, Jorge Lopez is struggling. Pagan is almost unusable in, in any type of leverage situation. Uh, Brock Stewart and Jose De Leon are intriguing guys, but they're unproven, you know. And in the Sunday's game alone, I just saw little things that are irking me. You know, um, they scored four runs in the first inning off of Kevin Gosman. Um, had him on the ropes, and they, didn't, they couldn't deliver the knockout blow. And he was able to pitch a few mornings after that. Instead of knocking him out in the first inning, they didn't even have the bullpen warmed up. If they could have leaned on him a little bit more, maybe score a couple more runs, get into the bullpen earlier, the whole, that whole game may change. All right. Edward Julian, as much as we like him as a hitting prospect, uh, his defense leaves some things to be desired. Yes. He botched a double play uh, in that game that, uh, kept, that extended the inning and allowed Matt Chapman to hit a three-run homer. And this has popped up every now and then with this team. The play's not being made, and it comes back to bite him. Um, Carlos Correa gets the third base with nobody out, and he, they can't get him in. And it was like Larnick and Kirill, good, like quality hitters following him. And they could get them home. That run's got to score. Good teams convert those opportunities. Teams that get to the playoffs and make playoff runs perform in those situations. And they're not doing it. I mean, they're still hitting 150-something with the bases loaded, which is totally baffling to me. And then Pagan, you know, what other situation? Mean, I know it was, late in, it was a late-inning situation, but he was facing the seventh, eighth, and ninth hitters with nobody out. And he made his own mess and couldn't clean it up. When are you going to be able to use this guy if he can't play? I, I defended Pagan at the risk of my Twitter account. <laughs> but, uh, but you can't defend him when he does stuff like that. So there's tentacles to this thing that are troubling to me as far as things they need to clean up. And, and I think you hit on it. I mean, you could see this lineup being very productive if and when healthy. Yeah. The rotation's been very good. They have Maeda coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, they have some depth there. Late getting to Duran. How are you going to get to Duran? Now, Jackson's pitching better now. Moran's pitching better yet. Right. But Lopez was going to be the eighth inning guy, and he's not the eighth inning guy. Right. I'm wondering if Brock Stewart might end up being the key to the season. They may have to try him. And I love his arm. It is live. It's, it's all very live. Uh, he throws. He can touch 99. He's got a nasty breaking ball. I like things I see from him. And maybe if you put him in a situation, just because he hasn't pitched a lot and doesn't know any better, maybe he will succeed. We have questions? Uh, do you have a question for us? All right, fire away. Who is the first Minnesota Twins not to be Minnesota Twins player not born in the U.S.? Oh, see, this isn't like a question for us to to expound on. This is a question to test us, wow. and we're and we're going to fail. Oh, oh no, we're we're looking for like topical questions. Yeah, you know, like so, when, when is Bob, Byron Buxton coming back? Yeah. Who do you want to see lead off? See, you no, know, listen, that's it. That is a good question. We just don't know the answer to it. We'd have to look it well, up. Well, I would, I would imagine that uh, when they moved here from, uh, from Washington, um, they had already been known for scouting Cuba pretty hard. Yes. And so when they so moved the question here is which Cuban player, yeah. and we're not, we'd have to look up yeah. which Cuban player was the first. There were several Cubans on that 1961 team. So. But you know what? That was a good question. Yeah. How, how about a hat? Hat? Grain belt hat. First grain belt hat is gone. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. you being you. here. Thanks for asking the question. Um, so where was that? So Lopez. Oh. So we're getting to Lopez. Thank you. Um, 
he scares me. I think Stewart has the stuff to do it, but he's got to prove that he can handle it. Right. And if it's not one of them, then it's Jax or Jax. <laughs> I mean, they, they, all of a sudden you start running out of options. Yeah, or the equalizer, who is Emilio Pagan. And, and listen, Pagan is a sixth-inning pitcher. Yep. That's what he is. Yep. When your tr- starter gets in trouble, put Pagan on the sixth, he'll be fine. You cannot pitch him at the end of the game. He's been good against right-handers, so just put him in right, favorable matchups and get some mileage out of him that way. But... You know how it goes. There's going to be times where the bullpen order gets jumbled up because of usage. You know, Brock Stewart had pitched in two straight days. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if he was, wasn't available Sunday. Although the second day was just one pitch, so I don't know what they were thinking. Lopez had pitched. Thank you. You know, when, Thank I, you. when I woke up in the morning and looked at the lineup, I said, Pagan's got to pitch today. Yep. You know, and those days can come up. But the thing, this is why this, this Jorge Lopez thing is troubling because you also thought Orhe could be closer one A, right? When when Duran had like saved two consecutive nights, he could go in in the third night and get it done. Yep. So when he's not pitching well, that's double bubble trouble for that bullpen. So Rocco's trying to find the right mix there, and I hope you know it's time. I hope the Twins are looking for bullpen help right now because they they need to bring in another arm. I thought they fixed that by making trades last summer. I know, but you know, you know, and Derek Fabia said this too. Relievers to him are the most volatile and he's uh, right. people, people to deal with because yeah. they run hot and cold from year to year. Yes. And a lot of, I mean, we I like the bullpen going into the season. Me too. Uh, the way Jackson developed during the year last year. Um, Lopez being here for Thank a full you. season. Or hey, Akla being healthy. Yep. He's on the, you know, he's on the IL. I, I thought it was really set up to do some good things. But I agree. As it turns out, you've got to call an audible, you know, and I, if I'm, tw- I got my scouts out and I got my, my stats guys out and gals out looking at numbers and trying to find a reliever to come in and help be the bridge to the closer. You know, building a bridge to the closer is not an easy thing. Um, but I would say this, I'd rather be worried about finding a closer than to find a starter. And I'd rather be, yes, I'd rather be worried about finding a reliever than trying to find a bat, you know, and that is another thing on their list that they may have to look for. I mean, they have enough bats. If everybody stays healthy, I'm tired of saying if they, everybody stays healthy here, here's another question for you. Uh, and Roy always talks about this. You know, the Twins contend that, hey, breaking pitches are the most effective pitches in baseball. And Roy is always, yeah, if you throw them after you throw your fastball. Right. You set it up. You get people to tune up to 98, 99, 100, 105 for Duran. And then you throw the breaking pitch and the hitter's help, helpless. Right. So the other day, Duran throws two breaking pitches to start a batter. A second gets hit over the fence. And I understand that that's a that those are generally good pitches for him. To me, you got to throw the fastball so the hitter can't sit on those. You are exactly right, and that's not the first time Duran's gotten burned doing that. Yep, he did it against the White Sox early in the season. He came in and threw a get me over breaking ball to Luis to Luis Robert, who pummeled it yep. to center field for a home run. Um, I don't know who's I don't know what the uh, game plan is for him. If that's what they're telling him to throw, I'm against it. Um, Agreed. You come at guys with your best pitch. Now, when they had Fernando Rodney a few years ago, he was a changeup guy. And don't be afraid to throw your best pitch back to back times. Okay, I get that. Rodney throwing changeups, you know, that's his best pitch. Um, the breaking ball that Duran has is nice, but it's not his best pitch. It's 105. You know, as soon as Robert saw some spin on that ball, he was like, oh, thank heavens. Yep. And, and tagged the crap out of it, man. So, um, but I mean, you're right. I mean, I used to try to talk to Burt Blylevin about pitching, you know, and I was like, man, you had like the most tenacious you know, curveball ever. Um, you know, I said, uh, I covered the Rose and Bob Boone was a manager. 
And Boone said that you could hear your, your curveball spinning as it came toward the plate. You know, it was so good. And Burr was like, well, that's all fine and good. But, you know, it really helped me strike out 3,700 batters is that I was able to spot my fastball yep. and set up the curveball. And then I could work them together to dominate hitters. So, um, yes, to me, there's still value in spotting the fastball. And you should not be analytically uh, directed toward throwing breaking balls uh, when you throw 104 miles an hour. Um, I was, I'm writing something for – I just wrote – I'm writing a column tomorrow on uh, – I'm writing a column for tomorrow on uh, Luis Arias. And I actually already wrote it. Actually, it should be a line at StarTribune.com right now. And I pointed out that the note of physicists from Yale, Robert Adair, said that a hitter has 0.15 seconds to determine whether to swing at a pitch or not. And that does not take into account what type of pitch it is, the location, and the speed. You have to factor all that within – 0.15 seconds. And think about that. When you're throwing 104, it's on you even quicker. So do not hold back if you have a five. Throw your best pitch and get your bats going that way. No doubt. Throw If you got 105, throw 105. Yep. It's pretty simple. Um, so you and I, consecutive days, are writing about Luis Arise in one way or another. You got a chance to speak with him. I wrote more about the trade and how Pablo Lopez has got to start justifying the trade. Um, what are we seeing from Marais right now? Or just tell me, tell me what your experience talking to him was and and watching him this season. I mean, is this? I mean, nobody expects him to hit 400, no. but is this going to be a guy who hits 350 every year? I think he can be. Um, I mean, he's in, he's in that mode right now. He's not looking to drive the ball at all. He's looking to serve and get that batting average. Uh, it's hard. I was looking at uh, the years at Carew. And Tony Gwynn and George Brett had a chance to hit 400. George Brett was batting 400 with 13 games left to go in the season and struggled. But he hit 304 during his last 13 games, Yep, which is good. But That's the thing. Great. You go one for three, your average goes down. Exactly. Um, Carew was batting 400 on July 1st. Actually, he had 411 on July 1st. And um, he floundered in August. He batted 452 in September oh. that year. And still only got the 388. You know, it is hard to maintain. It's hard average. math. And Arias was, I think, his batting average in balls in play, his bobbip was like 470. That is unsustainable. It's unsustainable. You are just living large when something like that happens. So I walk into the clubhouse. He sees me. We start talking. He knows the conversation's headed. You know, and he just he kept saying, you know, baseball's hard, man. <laughs> Baseball is hard. I just gotta. I guess I have to trust myself when I'm at the plate. You know, I try to prepare. Um, I get my swings in. I get my massage before games. I look a lot of video, a lot of video. You know, I just have to trust and believe that I'm going to be able to hit the ball. You know, and um, I think this could this this season is going to do a lot for Louis if he continues to like hit in the high 370s, 380s. I I, I can't say this guy's going to hit the 400. No one. You can no. Just, that's just you just can't make a, a prediction like that. But I think he's the type of guy who would have fun with it. I think he would. Because he's going to go up and play his game, you know. And his game is like Wee Willie Killer, hitting balls where they ain't. He's looking for holes, and he's he's almost redirecting pitches, you know, sometimes the way he swings. So um, he's happy in Miami. He already had a home here, there. Uh, he has a residence here, and he's renting it to Pablo Lopez. I love it. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? awesome. And uh, so he talks to Polanco almost every day. Uh, he talks to Oliva a lot. Tony Oliva calls him a lot. Wow. So. Um, that's fantastic. Hey, so he hadn't talked to Karim in a while, um, but I'm sure Karim's rooting for him from from California. So, but he seemed to be in a good mood. He's happy with his teammates. He loves loves living in South Beach. Um, I said, you know, the fans miss you in Minnesota. He was like, 
I missed him too, <laughs> you know. So uh, he's, I mean, he's, um, he is in a good spot right now. He's got a routine going. It's working. Uh, he doesn't look like he's flustered, but I, I have seen more stories with the ESPN did a story on him. Sports Illustrated did a story on him. The media attention is starting to come, yep. and that's going to be the big uh, challenge for him. I remember talking to George Brett uh, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago at the All-Star Game in Chicago. And Brett said, if I had a chance to hit 400 again, I'd do it with no problem. He said, you know what the biggest problem was? Dealing with you guys. <laughs> he said, having to go over every, every pitch, every bat. I, it just got to me. He said, if I had a chance to do it again, I would know how to handle it. And I, I would hit And, you know, I don't know if you interviewed George. How many often you yeah. interviewed George? Oh, yeah. But when he starts talking, the confidence and the swagger he has, oh, yeah. you know, he was like, oh, I, I would do it again. No doubt. So, um, but this would be a great summer for baseball. If Louis can sustain, you know, batting 390 and just making it somewhat interesting that something great has happened. It's been 82 years. It'd be great. 82 years. It'd be great. And he's such a good dude. Yeah. Uh, he's an easy guy to cheer for. By the way, one of my favorite baseball memories of all time yep. is being in Royal Stadium back in like the 90s. And George Brett, and it was like some kind of delay. I don't know. Or maybe the other team was taking bat, early batting practices. I actually was the twins took early batting practices. They were still on the field. George Brett came out and imitated Everybody, <laughs> he, and the best was him doing Jim Cott. No kidding. On the mound, doing the catch and throw at the same with the same motion with the scrunched up face. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, my first guess on this trade was good trade. You traded a singles hitter for a potential ace and a couple of prospects. Yes. Do we have reason to second guess at this point, or is it too early? <laughs> I think it's too early to second guess. Oh, I mean, Twins fans are going to town on it right now. Yes. I mean, my Twitter feed has just become a, why do you make this trade? It's idiotic, blah, blah. But you know what? As much as I like Luis Arise and his style of hitting, he won a batting title last year, and his OPS was just 795. Yep. There is no drive. He doesn't drive the ball. doesn't hit for power. He's a singles hitter. And, yeah, he's an asset to – he can – bat in any lineup in baseball. You're right. But in this game, we talk about OPS and OPS plus and all the things that determine how much of an impact a hitter has on the game. His impact is not as great as it is with other players. And I, I'm trying not to say that's a bad thing about Louis. It's just who he is. Yeah. Um, but you have a chance to get a guy who, and you're paying him like he's supposed to anchor your rotation for several years. Um, I would take an arm over a bat any time of day, any time of the day, any day of the week in that situation. Um, Ralph Kiner famously said that singles hitter drive singles hitters drive pintos, home run hitters drive Cadillacs. It's true. And in, this, in the way the game is played today, everybody's driving Cadillacs. <laughs> it's true. And listen, right now, Arise is outperforming all the Twins hitters, yeah. and and his competitiveness would have helped this team a lot and would have helped this lineup. It's just that when you look at big picture, long-term plans, it's hard to take a singles hitter over a power hitter at a position. It's hard to take a singles hitter when you could get right. a really good arm for him. As I wrote about today, they just need Pablo to pitch better. No doubt. Absolutely. And I think he will. You know, um, he's got the great arsenal, the, the great changeup. You know, I, I keep wondering. I'm, I'm going to watch him really intently today because I want to see how much he put pitches inside. Because I, I just remember when Racky was later in his career, Rick Anderson got him to pitch inside more, and that really opened up things with yep. his changeup down and away. And I think when you have a changeup as devastating as Pablo Lopez's, he's got to set that pitch up. And then sometimes you got to get these guys who are on the plate, you know, who are driving pitches away from them to left field, pulling pitches away from them for home runs, and they go about it that way. Um, I still think he's going to end up being uh, a productive pitcher this year for the team. Um, 
it just hasn't clicked. I mean, yeah, it was like in the six or seven starts since the, the first four starts, he had like a 170 RA. And like the next five or six, he had like a 5.5. Five, you know, and I'm like, that's like the guy the Twins traded for. But it's too early to start saying that this trade's a disaster, especially when it's going to take years to play out because one of the two prospects may end up flourishing. You know, sometimes these trade, these trade scenarios take 15, 20 years to play out. I mean, the Twins traded Chuck Knobloch for four guys. Um, one of the guys signed with the Washington Nationals, Christian Guzman. The Twins got the compensation pick for him and drafted Brian Dunsing, who they got mileage out of for another X amount of years. So that's how you have the branches from a trade tree that kind of spread out. You know, they got Eric Milton. Eric Milton became Carlos Silva and Nick Punto. They got Brian Buchanan. Brian Buchanan became Jason Bartlett, who unfortunately became Dumb and Young. But <laughs> we, we won't stress too much on that. But, yeah, so short term, it looks bad. By the end of the year, it could look like a wash. And down the road, it could end up being a plus. All right, I'm going to do a little business here. We will give away this Joe Ryan bobblehead. Uh, the first good question, first good topic. Uh, somebody comes up and asks, wins the Joe Ryan bobblehead. The next one we gets have a, a grain belt hat. Uh, yes, sir. What's more than likely What's more than likely to continue tonight? The Brewers losing streak or Correa's five-game winning, I mean, hitting streak? Okay, good question. The question is, uh, what's more likely to continue tonight, the Brewers losing streak or the Carlos Correa hitting streak? I'm going to say Correa's hitting streak. Um, it's, fu it's funny, just when I was advocating, just when I was advocating that Correa gets dropped down to six in the batting order, all of a sudden he starts hitting. Yep. He's got a couple homers, had the big grand slam against the Blue Jays. Um, looks like he's making more solid contact. But I will say this, because um, I, when I was driving back, Paul Mauter was on the radio because he was in Toronto for the series. Um, there was a play where he doubled uh, against the Blue Jays, and he eased in the second and almost got caught, easing in too much in the second. And Mahler said, I watched him run the entire time. That foot's bothering him. Yep. You know, yep. he's got that plantar fasciitis in that foot. And as I've argued before, that you've got to stay off that foot in order for it to heal. I can't see how he's going to last the season trying to play on that thing without having to be on the I.O. once or twice or thrice uh, because of that thing. Um, but right now, it looks like he's finding some sort of rhythm at the plate. Um, he's making contact, and when he's making contact, he's doing damage. It's not just bloopers or bleeders. He's driving the ball a little bit. So I think he's in a good spot right now where I could see him running that uh, hitting streak to a sixth game. I agree with you. And that, you know what? That was a good question. Yep. Let's give away the bobblehead. Thank you very much. There I appreciate it. Very nice. Thank you for being here. All right. Okay. Will Joey, Joey Gallo's bat do the same that he's done coming back to the lineup that he's done so far this year? The other question, will Joey Gallo continue performing the way he has, which has been, despite the strikeouts, pretty good so far? I think it's going to be pretty good, but it's going to look ugly. I, he's representative of what the Twins' offense were now. It's a beautiful mess, all right? Because when they are stringing hits together and driving a ball, it's they're scoring six, seven runs. But when the strikeouts are piling up, it looks ugly, just absolutely ugly. And that's what Gallo is. He's a guy who's going to look ugly two, three times a game. You're hoping he runs into one and deposits it into you know, Lake Minnetonka. And he has that ability. So um, I think you're going to see more of the same. He's never been a high average hitter. I think his best year he hit like 244 or something like that. Um, I, when they signed him, I expected him to hit 210. And if he hits 35 home, home runs while batting 210, you know, that's what you got him for. You know? And the defense is a plus because he can play first base and the outfield very well. It has a very good arm and is mobile out there. But you want to see him, you want to see the twins drive in runs. It's weird watching him lead off. I know Rocco knows that Gallo walk, draws walks and there's nobody else better. You know, he's but it's leadoff hitter by default, which Gallo doesn't really like, but he's doing it for the team. 
So, but um, and tonight Julian's batting lead off, and Gallo I think's batting seventh or eighth. So Who's batting third. I, uh, I don't have the lineup in front of me, but I think it's uh, Julian Solano Correa Kirilov. Ah, uh, you know, Correa started hitting the ball a little bit when he got in the cleanup spot. I. I think I would flip-flop uh, Kirilov and, and uh, Correa in that alignment. Uh, and that leads to my next big – contemplate this next big question. Who will be the Twins' best hitter a year from now? Contemplate that while I do some thank yous here. Uh, next good question uh, will win this grain belt hat. We also have some other grain belt uh, giveaways. If you want to just grab these things to the to my right, you can just grab those. The hat we're going to give away to a question. Uh, let me do a little business once again. We're live at O'Donovan's downtown Minneapolis. It's right by First Avenue. It's right by Target Center, right on the way to Target Field. Thanks, Grain Bell, for sponsoring. And thanks to Aquarius Home Services Studio. At Aquarius Home Services, we know when temps go up, the last thing you want is your air conditioner down and out. From tune-ups and repairs to installing a new air conditioner, we got you covered. We're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Thank you also to All Energy Solar, AllEnergySolar.com. And thanks to All Energy Solar, there is a lot to worry about when running a business. Your utility bill shouldn't be at the top of that list. Solar Energy cuts down on unpredictable utility costs, making your job just a little easier. Find out more about how your business can go solar at AllEnergySolar.com slash learn. Go to allenergysolar.com and you'll find all the other information you need about uh, getting solar for either your, your personal residence, your business, uh, how installation works, how long All Energy Solar has been in the business. Again, allenergysolar.com. And thank you to First Minnetonka City Bank. We're your locally owned community bank. First Minnetonka City Bank. We're your locally owned community bank. Phone calls are answered by real people instead of a never-ending voicemail system. Dedicated financial representatives who really care about your personal, business, mortgage, and investment objectives. First Minnetonka City Bank is an independent community bank that offers the same wealth of products and services as larger banks, yet provides the highest quality customer service that other banks forget. We take the time to develop one-on-one -on -one relationships with our customers. The same banker will work with you year after year, providing the long-term understanding necessary to tailor our services to your changing needs. First Minnetonka City Bank. Stop by or call one of our convenient locations to experience the first Minnetonka difference for yourself. And a reminder, this is all part of TalkNorth.com, Chin Music, our baseball show, and we have just a bunch of shows, a bunch of sports shows, variety shows, outdoor content. Check it all out and subscribe to the shows you like. All right, who's this team's best hitter a year from now? I think it's the guy who they uh, had to wait uh, to get ready down in Fort Myers. Uh, and they go in a rehab assignment before he called him up. And as soon as he walked into that clubhouse, I thought he was taking the best of bats of the team. And that's Alex Kirilov. Um, he sticks to a plan. He swings, for the most part, good pitches. Um, he's got great hand-eye coordination. Um, I'm waiting for the power to come. Maybe it's going to come eventually. But when he, whenever he gets in the batter's box, I think Kirilov's going to get a hit. And I think the best version of his Twins offense has a healthy Polanco and Kirilov kind of paired in the top two or four hitters there. And let the lineup shake out after that. Um, as far as the leadoff hitter, uh, good luck with that. They don't have one. And I don't know how many. Julianne can be the leadoff hitter he if he could, can play good enough second base. Yeah, well, that, I mean, yeah. Thank he, you, sir. You cannot be a zero-sum scenario out there. I know. You know, driving the runs and giving them away, you know? know. And so he's got he's got some stuff to work on during the offseason. Um, you know, but uh, I really like Karloff's swing. I like how he gets after it. I like his approach. And he walked in and looked comfortable from the first day. So I have. I have hopes that he's a guy who's going to hit 280 and drive in some runs. Um, and Larnick won't be too far behind, I think. I think Larnick's starting to figure some things out. Um, 
he's got you know teams are going to start spinning the ball against him because that's the that's the the book on him. But I think he's in a better spot to uh, to to do some damage at the plate. And plus, Roy Smalley thinks that Larnick is going to be a highly productive player. So if Roy's saying he's going to be a highly productive player, then that means he's going to be a highly productive player. I, I I'm not just kissing his butt because he's on our show, but it's amazing how often Roy is right mm-hmm. about. Hitters, projecting futures, uh, team flaw. It's not all positive either. He'll tell you, hey, uh, his his worry about this team the last two years has been the lack of a Nelson Cruz type right. run producer in the middle who ties everything together. And he's been absolutely right about that as well. So Kirloff, I think, is probably the right answer. I'm going to give a different answer based sheerly on gut. I think Royce Lewis is one of those guys who just finds a way to barrel up pitches and hit the ball all over the place. And, you know, that four-hit four, four game he had the other day, it's not like it was just four perfect at-bats, but he's one of those guys like Molitor, like Puckett, they get a lot of seemingly lucky hits because they're so good at getting enough of the ball that it bloops in front of the outfielder or it gets between the infielders. To me, he's got one of those magic bats that is going to play. First of all, the bat speed is tremendous. Yes, he's got, that's part of it. Yeah, he's got great bat, bat speed. It allows him an extra little bit of time to kind of see the pitch before he uh, offers at it. Um, he's willing to hit the ball to the opposite field when he went. He actually had seven consecutive hits, I believe. I seven or eight. Seven or seven. Yes. Um, he was flaring balls to keep the stay to stay alive. He, yeah, he had a flare to right field in Toronto, and he was protecting because it was two strikes. Yep. But he was able to get enough on the pitch to get it to the That's outfield. exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so he's got that ability in him, and I think there's some pop in that bat, too. No doubt. So um, he could be very intriguing as an offensive player. And here's a guy who, you know, may, I don't want to say he's a late bloomer, but basically he's had two lost seasons of development. Yep. So he's trying to make up for lost time here. We might not see the best out of him. Yeah, I mean, your, your call's a pretty good one because if, you, if he can get a foundation under him with the bats, you know, this, the rest of this season, there could be hell to pay with pitchers across the league next year. When he's got some experience. Yeah, I think he's going to be a very dangerous man. Um, let's let's do some Paul Molitor appreciation. The Twins just played in Toronto. Paul was on the radio up there. Brewers Twin Series. Natural time to talk about Paul Molitor. Uh, I thought it was great this spring that when I was down there that I, you know Paul was still doing what he's doing, which is providing expertise, space running expertise. Um, you know, I think we were really lucky that we got to cover him in this market. We got to see him get his three thousandth hit. Uh, that we got, and we got to cover him as a manager. Uh, he's just one of those people who, his voice belongs in the game. I agree. I agree. And he artic- articulates the game better than probably anyone I've encountered yes. in baseball, and that includes the one year I call, covered him as a player, and then uh, as he was like a coach at spring training, and then he was a bench coach. Although he wasn't called a bench coach, he was just called a coach. Yes. And then he became a manager. I don't know if TK liked the, the concept of having a bench coach, you know, uh, but. Yeah, you can always go up to him with a question and get a lengthy response that's well thought of and and something that you can move forward with and apply. You know, I really enjoy our conversations with him. Great stories. Um, you know, somebody, someone was asking me, Byron Buxton's got sore ribs. Come on. You know, why can't he just play with that? I said, look, I covered a game in Chicago where Mahler got his ribs broken by a fastball. All right. This game is harder to play than you think. And Mahler stayed in the game and, and ran a second. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know, so... Um, any, any input he has, an influence on this team, I think is a good thing. He likes talking to young players. You know, Brian Dozier loved him because Mulder was telling, showed him how to see the game a different way. 
and find angles for him to be uh, to have an impact on the game. Um, I just uh, I think just think incredibly highly of the guy. And um, I had another thought about Bother. I can't remember right now. So keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the great thing about getting to know Molitor as a writer was, you know, he's a future Hall of Famer, right? And, right. And, and he carried himself like a future Hall of Famer. And that could be intimidating, you know? I mean, you and I both have swallowed our tongues and walked up and asked questions to people we thought were going to bite our heads off. That's right. part of the job. You would walk up to Molitor and you'd ask him a question and there would be that long pause and you go, oh, oh, he's about to get after me, right? He was always just thinking of an incredible answer. Right. Exactly. And, and it took me a while to. Re- it took me a few times. I oh, he's not. He's not like looking for a reason to get mad at you. He, he's actually thinking out an incredibly detailed answer. Yeah, and it would be like a two minute answer. Yes, you know he, he that pause. I learned that when there's a pause, that means it's a good thing. Yes, like you're about to get some some nuggets of gold from this guy uh, tapping in his great baseball mind. So um, yeah, being able to. And I interviewed him. The first time I interviewed him was the three. The year he hit three forty one because mm-hmm. uh, he hit. He had his three thousand hit in Kansas City. Yep. Uh, and triple. I, yeah, it was the only the only time a three thousand hit was a yep. triple, and um, we had a chance to interview him then. That's the first time I was around him. I was really impressed. So, uh, fortunately, Knobloch had his one thousand hit in the same game. But we're uh, not going to talk about that. Hey man, that team almost hit its way into the postseason. They had two guys at three forty one. I uh, know pitching was a problem, but they Rich had Becker a, had his best year. Stahovic yeah. had his best year. Cordova drove in about one hundred and twenty runs. Yeah. Uh, and if Puckett had been healthy that year, and if right. Aguilera had been healthy that year. That's probably a playoff team. Absolutely, and Mahler being in the middle of that was just a was just a you know, icing on the cake. Um, so, yeah, I just I mean, my career as a journalist, baseball writer, is better off for having a, a chance to talk and interview and, and know Mahler. Also, might have been the only hitter, only great hitter in Major League Baseball history who completely redesigned his swing later in his career. If you watch video of him when he was young, the bat is waggling and his whole body's moving. By the time he got to the Twins, he wasn't moving a muscle. The only thing that moved when the pitch came was his bat. He was a uh, he was a uh, he was a moving clinic in how not to move at the plate. Yeah. Uh, the, the the weight transfer without taking a stride and still being able to hit for power was just amazing to me. You know, but he knew how to transfer his weight at the right time, and 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 put a great swing on a baseball man. So, he also had the forearms of a 250-pound linebacker. Yes, he did. Which helped. <laughs> he did. He did. The uh, forearms of life, man. It was, uh, yeah, it was great to hear him in the booth in, in Toronto. And it, here's, here's my thought. What is it with this organization where people who get fired still end up back in the fold? It's Ron Gardner is welcome back with open arms. Balder is. It's Terry amazing. Ryan. In other cities of America, you think Mike Hargrove's being open, welcome with open arms in Cleveland? No. The Vikings fire Mike Zimmer, and he goes into a complete pout and yeah. sits down in Kentucky, getting you know being completely angry at everybody. The Twins fire people, and they show up at the press conference. They yeah. just say, "Oh, you know, time for me to move on." And they, you know, they bring guard, they bring everybody back. And some people make fun of that. I actually find that very endearing. You know, once you are in, once you've kind of dedicated a portion of your life to that organization, they want you around. And you know what? The Vikings have actually gotten, you know, not with Zimmer, I'm making fun of him, but uh, the Vikings have actually gotten a lot better at that, too, under the Wilfs. They they keep their, their great players close now. Right, right. And that says something about the quality of the organization and the people that form the backbone of the organization that they view everybody as alumni. I mean, I remember yep. Dave St. Peter, you know, Rock Hoover didn't have the greatest relationship with the Twins. He did right not. Before. They say Peter worked tirelessly 
to get Carew back in the fold. To the and and that, Carew has said that. He's yeah. given him credit for that, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Carew had a lot of reasons to be upset. I mean, with Calvin Griffith and the things he said in that damn Wasika yep. speech back in the day and, yep. and some other things, you know, not paying him and trading him. And, man, uh, but, you know, he's in the fold now. I, it's, just, it's, really, it's rather remarkable to see um, how the alumni, uh, almost to every player, you know, is welcome back. Every manager is welcome back. Executives. Uh, even people like Brendan Harris, who, like, played two years with the Twins. Or as Gardy <laughs> called him, Brandon. Brandon, that's right. You know, they're, they're welcome back. You know, even I think J.C. Romero came back one day, and Gardy hated Romero. Yes. You know? <laughs> so it's just, it's, this is just a unique trait with this organization. So let's get into the Kirilov call. Uh, he gets called out on a key third strike uh, because he steps into the box late. The umpire judges that his eyes weren't on the pitcher with eight seconds left. The Twins thought it was a bogus call, at least a call that should have been managed better. Uh, what was your thought on that? Uh, I think it was just a poor judgment by the umpire. Um, I, it looked like right at eight seconds that Kirilov was looking, it was looking at the pitcher. And I don't know. If the umpire was just jumping the gun there, anticipating him not being ready at that moment based on how he was acting. But I think that he had facial contact with the pitcher when it got to the eight-second mark. And that stunk. And the funny part is, like I said, I was driving back from Chicago. I'm listening to it on the radio. I could hear Tommy Watkins screaming at the umpire (laughs) to argue uh, the decision there. Um, So we're going to have those, you know. Um, Now, these things are judgment calls. As you uh, you look at the clock, you look at the batter, uh, defining exactly what his engage mean. You know, um, was his head down? He looked up. You know, and did the guy think his head was still down? You know, his eyes were on the pitcher. Little stuff like that. You know, I like the pitch clock. It's done a lot of things great for this game. Yes, it's a lot of great things for baseball writers because not only that, more time <laughs> to write and beat deadline. You know, but more time to get to a Donovan's after the game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And but at, at the at the same time. Um, I hate that it's added another layer to the umpire's duties uh, when it leads to thing, situations like what happened on Sunday. I think you and I disagree at least slightly on this one. Uh, I would rather the umpire doesn't make that call. I'd rather the umpire doesn't insert himself into a key situation that way. But I will put it on Kirilov. You got two strikes on you. You're taking time to get in the box, and you have a timeout left. Use the timeout. Don't... Don't leave it up to the umpire. Don't give the umpire a chance to mess you over. Call the timeout okay. or step in two seconds earlier. I get that. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you think reputation comes into play? Would you do that? Would that umpire do that to Buxton? Would he do it to Correa? That's a good question. I'm guessing no. I'm guessing the fact that yeah. Kirilov is a young guy and doesn't have much of a history with his umpire right. uh, probably did play into it. Right. And don't forget, that was a replacement umpire because yep. Wendell, Wendell Stad took, took a shot off the arm. I don't, yes. I never heard of how well. How it must not it. have been too bad. I think we had heard more about it, but it looked painful. Yeah. So the guy wasn't planning on calling balls and strikes that day. He had to, there was a delay while he had to throw on all the padding and everything to get behind the plate. And he, then he ended up being in the middle of a controversy. You know, baseball's a funny game, man. <laughs> oh, no doubt about it. Um, how important do you think this home? I was talking to a Twins employer earlier today, and they're saying, okay, 10-game homestand. Brewers are struggling. Detroit has fallen apart. Boston is okay, but not great. Right. Twins have been muddling along. They're getting, you know, they get Gallo back. Mida's about to come back. 
They should be getting healthy. I think Buxton might be a day or two away. I was going to ask you about that since you're at the ballpark. Buxton is probably a day or two away. And we love your watch, Bear Down. Lavelle is getting compliments on his watch. Would you like a hat? Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for coming by. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Lavelle's a big hit, as always. And that is a nice watch, by the way. Uh, they're Bears fans. I know. So, so, yep. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. What the heck were we talking about? Uh, we're, we're, I asked umpires. you about Buxton. Oh, Buxton. Okay. Yeah. Buxton, it sounds like within a couple of days. Um, you know, they got a day game tomorrow. I could see them waiting till Thursday night, but I, I would guess Buxton's going to be back by Thursday night. Okay. All right. Um, and you were about to talk about uh, the impact of this homestand. Are you asking yes. me about that? Yes. 10-game homestand, two average teams, one terrible team. The Twins have been a better team at home. Their pitching is lined up nicely. They're coming off an off day, so their bullpen's rested. I think this is the time to make a move. I agree. Um, but if, even if they – here's what I want to see out of this homestand. I want, I, want, I want this to be the get-right homestand, when the Twins get right and set themselves up for the, the, the summer, okay? That means getting you know, injured players back healthy. Uh, that means getting your bullpen sorted out. And if you end up going 6-4 and four when you want a 7-3, and three, I'll take it. As long as they come out of this stretch healthier, um, with, a, with a lineup that Rocco can put out with confidence on a daily basis, uh, a bullpen set up in the right order, and hopefully Pablo Lopez will have a chance to pitch, what, three, four times this, during this uh-huh. homestand? Um, he can get right, too. So I think this, this should be dubbed the get-right homestand. That sounds about right to me. Uh, what Now, Maeda is going to pitch Friday in Kentucky for St. Paul. Uh, Rocco's talking about, adding a sixth arm to the rotation sometime during this next 16-game stretch. They have 16 games, 16 days. What is fair to expect from Maeda this season? I think the expectations have to be low. Um, he's a veteran guy. Was he 33, 34 now? Um, coming off of Tommy John. And, you know, a lot of times the command is the last thing to come back when you're working your way back through, through that. Um, I was worried about him in spring training because he's pitching in minor league games in the backfield and complaining about ball and strike calls. I was like, okay, you're, you're trying a little bit too hard here, man. You, you just need to get your arm ready. You just need to build up strength and get your control down. You know, I just want to see him uh, throw with confidence, show some good control. His velocity, it's going to be down to tick. He's going to have to pitch. He's going to be a pitcher. He's got he's to have to finesse his way through the rest of the season. I mean, that's just facts of life for a guy his age coming off arm surgery, you know. Um, but he could be huge for this rotation. I, I have no problems with Rocco going to a six-man rotation. Uh, as we talked before in the show, I'm worried about Bailey over because he has not thrown 100 innings in the season uh, since turning pro. And that's going to become an issue in August, you know. And I, I like what he's doing right now. He's been really effective. He's been a great asset to that ro- rotation. Uh, but being, a- being able to give these guys a break, I'm wondering, you know, what's going on with Sonny Gray. The last two times he's taken Sonny Gray out and I'm like, mm-hmm. Sonny should be able to go one more inning. Yep. And what's going on here? Are we trying to preserve him here or what's going on? You're right. There's something going on there because Sonny has pitched really well. Yeah. And Rocco has had the quick hook with him, even though he's been his best pitcher. And Rocco's let other people pitch deeper. So, what's going on with there? Yeah, his last outing, he threw seventy-five pitches and held Toronto to one run, I believe. Yep. And I was like, why is he coming out? Yep. What are we missing here? So, usually the answer, as you know, usually the answer is the pitcher is dealing with something that's bothering him physically, and the manager is protecting him. Right. Exactly. And Sonny's not going to come out and say that. No. No. So. Um, he could feign his uh, his uh, disappointment and yes. being lifted, 
That's a great, you know, that's a great smoke screen there. Yep. You know, and Sonny is sharp about that. I have, yep. I've watched him. I was telling you before, um, players trying to find ways around his pitch clock. Sonny knows if he needs a couple extra, extra seconds, there's going to be something wrong with the mound. Yep. He's not going to be engaging. He's not going to take the throw back from the catcher until he fixes whatever's on the mound. So he's smart enough to approach the situation um, like a KG veteran that he is. But I think uh, going to a six-man rotation would be a good uh, good thing. I don't I don't want to see them do that for the rest of the season, but I think once you get into the Yeah, I don't think it's for the whole rest of the season. Because um, you've you got off days. You can push people back a yeah. day on. The six-man will come in and play here. It's just a great way to maintain to main, for rotation maintenance during the season. A couple more topics here. Once again, thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton, who uh, works really hard at these live shows, putting on a good, uh, you know, and it, it's not easy. It's very, a very involved process. Uh, he makes it all sound great. Working on the beard, Both too. Live, and, and he is working on a beard as well. Uh, we're, not, we're not as high on the beard, but we won't talk about that. Uh, and again, check out TalkNorth.com. Thanks again to Grain Belt. Thanks again to O'Donovan's for hosting us. So, Buxton has not stayed healthy. I was thinking that sometime by when the season started, I thought by mid-June, Bucks is going to be in center field. Me too. Do you think it's even a possibility it happens sometime this season at this point? I'm nervous because because um, of his knee. Yep. Uh, I think another reason why he went on IL was to give his knee some some uh, recovery time uh, because right before he, he went on the IL, you know, I was I wrote a column demanding that he play center. And then I'm watching him run. I was like, he's not running with the same no. uh, world-class speed as he did a couple of years, last year or the year before. Um, that knee must not be 100%. Um, so this IL stint may have been good for a second reason in addition to uh, mending his ribs. I would like to see him in center field and have that DH spot um, split up between some other guys. I think it'd be for the greater good of the offense. And eventually, if this offense continues to be hot and cold here to miss, I think Rocco's going to seriously consider it, you know, come July and August, if it's time to put your, your, your foot on the floor and take down the division. Um, and you, 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 it, it, there's going to be a point where you can't just hold back. And as we've seen, as soon as you step on the field, you're at risk of getting hurt because Bucks got hit in the ribs. Um, he, has, he has stolen some bases and taken like an hour to get up, you know. So the pounding, this game's, it's not football where every collision is a, a car accident or basketball where guys are flying through the air and getting upended. But there is still inherent disasters on the baseball field uh, just from running in the walls, sliding, running into people, uh, getting hit with pitches, fouling a ball off your shin. Players have broken their shins with foul balls. So it's gonna, you're at risk as soon as you start playing. So don't hold back, especially if the division's going to be on the line. Put your best lineup out there. And to me, that's buck and center. For now, it's Michael Taylor in center, and he has been really interesting. The average is about what you would expect. He hasn't been a good major league hitter in general over the course of his career, but he is bigger and stronger and more athletic than I thought he was. He has played a very good center field. He's a pro, throws the right bases, uh, backs people, and he does all the little things well. Yep. And he's hitting home runs, and he's stealing bases like a maniac. Yeah, he is. And he's contributing, you know, he's contributing any way he can. Um, he's not a high average hitter. He never really hasn't been. Um, but uh, he's figuring out ways to have an impact in games in addition to his glove. Uh, I've seen him bunt. Uh, he can put the ball to play that way. Um, he does put a nice swing on the ball. There's times he turns the fan on and he, he drives a ball. So it's going to be some occasional homers, too. And he can run. So that was one good signing by the Twins. It was kind of curious at the time. Um, we didn't know that the movement was on to put Buck at DH at that moment. 
Um, but we just thought it was going to be, a, I thought he was going to be a guy who would back up all three outfield positions. Yep. But as the luck of the draw has happened, has occurred, they've needed Michael A. Taylor more than they thought. And for the most part, he's, he's played a little bit better than your average sub. I yeah, I, I think so. He, he's a he's won a Gold Glove in center field. He's not Buxton, but nobody's Buxton. He's played well out there. But I, I've just been surprised by the efficiency of the st- stolen bases. He's also hitting home runs at a much higher rate than he ever has before in his career. And you can see him sitting on pitches. And he's striking out because he's going to guess wrong sometimes. But when he gets his pitch, he is a strong dude. He will pop it. Absolutely, man. And uh, it's coming some great times, too. So I... Like him and him and uh, Willie Castro have been were two additions that have really helped this team. Willie's bailed them out because he's had to play outfield, he's had to play infield, he can play second, he can be third, he can play out center field at times. Although it's not yeah. as fluid, but he could go out there with a glove and and catch fly balls. Um, but you know he's had good at bats. Like he's fast. He can steal bases. I think Rocco enjoys that aspect of the game when he has some guys who can run in Michael Taylor, Michael A. Taylor, and and Willie Castro. So. Um, it's almost like there was that one game in Houston when they're all in a lineup together and, and they just ran and hustled and put the ball in play and scored runs and manufactured runs. I was like, this is actually entertaining to watch, you know. Um, so he's got Rocco has different looks here when everybody's healthy. One more topic tonight. Once again, thanks to O'Donovan's uh, downtown Minneapolis, 7th Street, right here by Target Center, right by First Avenue. Uh, close to everything, including Target Field. Thanks to Grain Belt for sponsoring. Thanks again to Aquarius Home Services, All Energy Solar, First Minnetonka City Bank, and thank you for listening. Uh, and once more, one more time, thanks to Brandon Morton for all the hard work. Last topic, um, Walner. He's still producing in AAA. Uh, they called up Larnick instead of him. What does he have to do to get to the big leagues? Uh, I think he needs to continue the rake and um... – and, and watch Max Kepler's uh, box scores, <laughs> you know, uh, and see if there's going to be opening in right field here pretty soon. But um, it looks like he's ready. He's ready to contribute. Um, he's 25. It's his time. Um, right now, the Twins decide there's no room at the end right now. But the way the season has been going, there's going to be another injury. And if, if Kepler, who I know he hit a home run in the Toronto series, um, does that mean he's about to awaken? That would be huge for this team if he does. But if he doesn't, um, and you continue to struggle scoring runs, you're going to have to look at, at Walner as a possibility. Miranda's hitting much better at AAA yep. as well. I was going to use that as a final thought. Uh, but um, I, I'm curious to see if they can figure out a way to mix him in. But I don't know if he, Kirilov, and Royce Lewis can coexist uh, on the same roster without someone, you know, riding the bench for a, few, a couple of days a week. So, but, yeah, I'm pro Walner. I, I like what I saw. It was unfortunate he got sent down, I think, when after reaching base in nine straight yeah. appearances. He, he pretty much did his job and was awarded with a trip to St. Paul, which wasn't fair. But baseball isn't fair sometimes, you know. So uh, um, I'm like you. I, I'm, I want to see this guy. And like I said, if, if, uh, if I'm Max Kepler, I'm also watching Matt Walters blind scores in the blind yes. score, too. And maybe using that as a motivation. And so one more topic. I lied. One more topic. <laughs> Why do you think they're sticking with Kepler? I think they may want to hopefully see him get on a hot streak and possibly use him as trade bait. He's a free agent at the end of the year. Um, I think he's making $8 million this year. So if they trade him at midseason, the team only has to eat $4 million. Maybe the Twins will actually pay some of it, too, you know, to facilitate a trade for an arm um, or maybe another bat. But, you know, you got guys like Larnick and Walner. Walner who look like they're ready to step yep. in those roles here. So 
my, I was thinking about this. I'm glad you brought that. Up. I was thinking about this the other week too. I was wondering if there's a reason why they're playing a the guy because he deserves to be benched. Yep. He deserves to be either moved down to the bottom of the order or or benched, and they're not doing it. So my next question is: Does this mean they're trying to hopefully he gets hot and try to trade him when he's at his best, or at least when he's pr- producing? The problem with that approach is he's probably not going to get hot. I know, I know. Um, the numbers suggest it. His hard hit percentage is. Um, but it just a lot of things are just pointing that um, the the sand and the R glasses run out on Max. Yeah. And it's too bad because he's really a pleasant guy. Um, he means well. Um, there's been questions about lack of fire from him. Yep. Um, that uh, I, my theory is I don't think he loves baseball. I think he loves the baseball life. I I, I think the same thing, but it's hard for I, I hate saying something like that because you don't know what's inside a guy. You know, I mean, we have to. We have to judge him by his actions, and we have to judge him by his stats, and you and you determine what's inside of the guy. But I don't know if there's a fire raging in here him, in him that he just has a d- different difficult way of showing, you know. But the results are results, you yeah. know, and those questions have to be asked uh, when you see him producing the way he is. Great show, Lavelle. Thank you. Uh, thanks to everyone who came out to Donovan's for whatever reason. Uh, thanks again to Brandon. Uh, thanks to Grain Belt. Uh, we'll be doing another live show downtown Minneapolis soon. Uh, we'll wa- follow us on social media, either Talk North Pod on Twitter or follow Lavelle on Twitter and his, his other social media uh, or follow me, and we will get you the times and dates of the next live show. Hoping Roy will be joining us again uh, for that show. Uh, for tonight, this has been TalkNorth.com, and this has been the Chin Music Baseball Show. Thank you.